always love it when Carl's here. Amen, and you may be seated. If there is, uh, if there's anyone who could uh, donate a new drum kit, that would be great. <laughs> We're going to need one after that. That was awesome. Uh, you'll have to forgive me. I'm still have this little bit of a rough throat, so, <clears throat> but you have to bear with. Hopefully, it's getting better. Um, my name is Joe Davis. I'm one of the pastors here, and we're continuing with this series on Psalm 119. We're almost done with it, so stop complaining. Um, this week, the Hebrew letter associated with this passage is Sade. It's called Pursuing Righteousness. That's what we're going to talk about today is righteousness. See, the problem with righteousness and the idea of pursuing righteousness, frankly, is very intimidating to me, and I don't know about to you. The word righteousness just seems to be a very far-off concept, untouchable. Frankly, it seems like some sort of religious fantasy, to be honest with you. Anybody relate to that? I mean, it's like a desert road with no road signs, no rest stops, no gas stations, and no destination in sight. The journey is daunting. And we know before we even start, we will never arrive at our destination. It's like going on vacation, knowing you're never going to get there, and you just drive your whole life. I mean, let's be honest. Wouldn't it just be easier for us if we could just ignore righteousness? Pretend that the concept does not exist? Isn't that, wouldn't that be great? But for some reason, the unrighteous, murderous, Adulterous psalmist sings about it. How is that? I mean, for real, what in the world would David know about righteousness? I mean, that's, this, this road kind of typifies what I think about when I think of my personal righteousness. I want to get there, but it's never going to happen. So if you can relate to that, you understand why righteousness can be quite a burden emotionally, spiritually. So let's look at the passage today and look what this unrighteous, murderous, adulterous king, psalmist, says about it. Righteous are you, O Lord, and right are your rules. You have appointed your testimonies, in other words, the word of God, in righteousness and in all faithfulness. My zeal consumes me because my foes forget your word. Your promise is well tried. And your servant loves it. I am small and despised, yet I do not forget your precepts. Your righteousness is righteous forever, and your law is true. Trouble and anguish have found me out, but your commandments are my delight. Your testimonies are righteous forever. Give me understanding that I may live. The word righteous occurs there a bunch of times, doesn't it, in eight verses? So let's look at the historical part of this. I want to talk about the standard and source for righteousness. The first Hebrew word in this passage is sadiq. It means just or lawful. That's when he says righteous and right are your words. Righteous and straight. Yashar is the other one. Straight, literally, and figuratively. So he says righteous and right are your word. 
It is just and lawful, and it is straight. So one he gives is a literary book law type of picture. Then he gives a geometry picture of God's righteousness. The first one is, it's written out perfectly. You can't deny it. And as a matter of fact, the image of your righteousness is that it's a straight line. So he gives, for those who are word literary people, the book, the law, and those of us who are visual artistic people, a line, straight. He describes it two different ways. Then there's another Hebrew word at the end. I love this one. Savah means to appoint or send a messenger to set the record straight. And this is the word. You have appointed your testimonies. You know what the word appointed means? You have sent a messenger about your testimonies. You have appointed someone and something to declare it, to make sure everybody knows what is righteous. What he does is he declares where righteousness comes from and that only God is righteous. And he understands that the appointed messenger is the actual word of God. The word of God is the extension, the declaring body of righteousness. By the way, in the beginning was the word, the words with God and the word what? Was God. Jesus Christ, the word of God. Interesting. The word is the expression of the mind of God and his character. That is why the psalmist confesses that God is righteous and that his word is as well. And David has gleaned his authority on righteousness. David has gleaned his ability to write a song in this album about righteousness because of what he has learned from the word of God, not because of his success in being righteous, but because of what he's read about it from the messenger of righteousness, which is his word, his law, his truth, and his son. That's the history of the passage. An unrighteous king writing a song as an expert on righteousness. Look at the theological part of this. Righteous confidence. What David does is he majestically describes simultaneously two things about God's word. And it's an artistic dichotomy that I love. The first thing he talks about is his humility about his own righteousness. I'm wrecked. Trouble has found me. I am lowly. I'm pitiful. So the first thing he does to describe righteousness is says, look at me. You want to know what righteousness is? It's the opposite of me. Then the next artistic dichotomy he talks about is in the midst of recognizing he is as far from righteousness as he could ever be. He's confident. He describes how a man who knows he is not righteous himself lives with all the benefits that come as if he was righteous. Scandalous, isn't it? Ridiculous. It'd be like me living as though I have all of Bill Gates' money. I mean, seriously, that's how far off we are from having our own righteousness. And David lives as though, as an illustration, if Bill Gates, his money was the example of righteousness, David lives as though he has Bill Gates' money. What he's saying is, as far off as I am, 
Trouble has found me. I am pitiful. I'm all these things. I live as though I am not. So let's look at how this confidence manifests itself. First of all, confidence while surrounded. Verse 139 to 141. My zeal has consumed me because my enemies have forgotten your words. Your word is very pure. Therefore, your servant loves it. But I am small and despised. I do not forget your concepts. <clears throat> he describes two ways that he is surrounded by unrighteousness. The unrighteous people around him and the unrighteousness within him. Everywhere I look, I'm surrounded. I have zeal for righteousness because I see all of it around me. But then also I realize that I am troubled and despised as well. He has confidence to live as though he is righteous, even though there are two glaring sources of unrighteousness that permeate every area of his life. One is those around him, and the other is that which is within him. Pretty amazing, isn't it? It describes a man who knows he is not righteous himself, yet lives as though, while surrounded, he is. He declares confidence in God's righteous words, not his righteous deeds. Even amid being surrounded by all of it, including his own, he has confidence in righteousness, even in a sea of unrighteousness. Here's another one. Confidence with eternity. This is an important one. Verse 142, your righteousness is an everlasting righteousness and your law is truth. I got a verse to show you in uh, John 17, 17. Sanctify them, set them apart, make them righteous. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. He says in here, your law, your word is truth. See what David recognizes and the reason he can live with confidence in eternity in the midst of being surrounded by unrighteousness is because it's by God's grace through faith that we are made righteous and sanctified, set apart. Sanctification is the process of being made conformable to God's righteousness. This is not accomplished by religion, by discipline, to-do lists, but through truth. God's word is truth. You have to spend time with it. We are sanctified to God's standards by the truth of his word. It is not an outward conformity to people's expectations, but an inward change of our actual nature. See, what we do as humans, we want to start from the outside and work in. Why is that? Because the outside is easier to change than the inside. So we do a good job, especially as American Christians, of putting icing on a sewage cake. <laughs> and every once in a while, life licks off some of the icing, and what is below is revealed. And that's when we fall into shame. But yet somehow David says, I'm not focused on the icing. I'm focused on the fact that time in God's word is sanctifying me. Sanctify them by your truth, your word is truth. You want to stop being ashamed of who you were in the past and present and future? Spend some time with God's word. This is why we can face eternity with confidence and peace. 
knowing our righteousness is about God's work. It's an, not an outward conformity, but an inward change. The next area of confidence is confidence during in failure. This is awesome. Here's what he says in verse 143 and 144. Trouble and anguish have found me out, but your commandments are my delight. Your testimonies are righteous forever. Give me understanding that I might live. All right, church, why are we so often prisoners to guilt? Shame about our past? Enslaved by regrets and failures? Why is that? It's a lack of understanding of what righteousness really is and where it comes from. Honestly, it is absolutely ridiculously foolish for you to think you could ever earn a title or a plateau of righteousness by doing things a certain way. Had I just made better decisions in my past, if I could just go back and change the things that I did wrong, this is a lie from the enemy. Biblically, it's a lie. Logically, it's totally ridiculous. It's a ridiculous, illogical premise to think, man, I am not righteous because of my past. No, you're not righteous because of now. And you ain't going to be righteous again in the future. As a matter of fact, Romans 3, 10 to 12, as it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. People, you don't even look for God on your own. You have no interest. All have turned aside. You want free will? There it is. You got it. What'd you do with it? Turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. By the way, did you know that this is a direct quote from Psalm 14, 1 to 3? Who wrote Psalm 14? You can guess. Correct. David said, there is none righteous. All have fallen aside. No one chooses God. All of us are worthless. There is none that are good, not even one. Paul quotes David in explaining righteousness. Guys, we have no righteousness. We've never had it in the past. We don't have it now. And we won't have it in the future. You can try all the high and mighty standards you want, but you will never measure up. Be it as a spouse, a parent, a friend, an employee, Christ follower, whatever role you can think of, you'll never measure up. The fact is, the more we take stock of our own righteousness and the more we're filled with regret about our own righteousness, the more we realize what a colossal failure we are. Yet somehow in the midst of David knowing all of that, he escapes the prison of shame by embracing the righteousness of God as his own. How did he arrive at this audacity? Who does he think he is? 
It would be a lot better for us because if we compare our sin to David's, it's not as bad for the most of us. There's a few of you in here that are murderers, but not many of you. And so <laughs> it'd be better off if David just said, you know what? I'm doing all right. Well, if David's okay, then so am I. David says, no, I'm the worst, but I'm righteous. This audacious stand that he takes comes from one place. And this is why Psalm 119, as long as it has been, is so important. It's through a love affair with God's word. That really is, church, the secret. So let's, talking about, let's talk about the devotional. I'm going to introduce to you a new concept today. Brand new. You've heard the phrase living in righteousness. I want you to take that phrase, crumble it up, throw it in the garbage can. I'm going to give you a new one. Living within righteousness. It's a new perspective. Philippians 3, the second half of verse 8 and verse 9. Here's what Paul says. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them all as rubbish. The, the Greek word is sewage. In order that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, just in case you thought I was lying. <laughs> Paul makes it pretty clear, doesn't he? And what is this that he's talking about the loss of all things? Some of you have experienced the loss of all things. Jobs, family, friends, relationships. You look back and think there are times that you had it all. You had nothing. Because without an understanding of where righteousness comes from, just in case you haven't gotten it yet, it's not you. The losses that you have experienced instead of producing shame, should produce a constant reminder of how thankful you should be that I can live within righteousness, not through it. You see, just like David, Paul could do two things. The first thing is he could embrace his own failures. So instead of despising, because Paul had it all, and instead of despising the fact that he lost these things, he sees them as the path to life and redemption and restoration and the ability to live within the righteousness of God. The other thing he could do besides embrace his failures is live within Christ, within the source of righteousness that we so miserably failed to achieve on our own. You see, without our failures in righteousness, we would never turn to live within the true source. We would keep thinking, I got this. But the failures are the blessing that drives you to go to where righteousness really resides. And that was, is within a relationship with Christ through his word. These two men both of whom are colossal failures, both of whom are murderers, both got to this place of confidence and freedom 
because of time in the word of God that taught them to live within God's righteousness. And ironically, both of them found this comfort in the Old Testament, Chuck, which is interesting. (laughs) It's true. The Old Testament is where we learn what righteousness really is and how to apply it to our lives. All the New Testament did was what? Plagiarize the old. Paul quoted David about five times on righteousness in his letters. Every time he talked about righteousness, he said, as it is written. And I go back and look. Oh, it's David again. Isn't that fascinating? Paul did not have a New Testament. He learned about righteousness from the law, from the Old Testament. See, guys, I want to make sure you understand, though. This is not an excuse to sin without repercussions. We are actually called to live within the gratitude of the righteousness given to us by Jesus. And how do we do that? Living a life that seeks to be obedient to what we learn in the word of God. That's part of the process of sanctification that we just learned. Sanctify them by thy truth. Thy word is truth. There's a verse that explains this. Maybe I didn't put it up. Yeah, I did. Romans 6, 1 and 2. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who have died to sin still live in it? So just make sure you understand. This is not saying, I can do whatever I want. I'm within the righteousness of Jesus. Well, if you are in the word of God, you learn what it means to live within the righteousness of Jesus, and it does miraculously sanctify you and transform you. That's where the change takes place. But back to this other thing. Here's what I'm telling you. Today, right now, this moment, is this day that I want you to stop fretting over your past failures your personal unrighteousness. It's time to be, see if you can get this, it's time to be like the adulterous, murderous, manipulative psalmist (laughs) and live within the righteousness of Jesus even as the enemy tries to yank you out of it, trying to remind you that you were a failure that you are a failure, that you will be a failure. It's time to recognize that you have been covered by the righteousness of God himself through his son. And every time you give in to shame and guilt, you are saying, I don't want to live within. I want to drown in the sewage. I know you gave me your righteousness, but I'd rather sulk over my own unrighteousness. But instead, through time and the word, you recognize, wow, this righteousness is my own? That's ridiculous. I can't believe you gave it to me. I might as well live like I am. It's time to recognize you've been covered by the righteousness of God himself through his son, Jesus. And this will happen as you fall in love with God's word that teaches you how God sees you. You know how God sees you? How God sees you, he sees you within Christ. 
I know that's hard to believe. And we don't want to really embrace it very often, do we? But the fact of the matter is, in the midst of being surrounded by your own shame and guilt, Heavenly Dad says, I don't know what you're talking about. I just see Jesus. I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. I, I'm, what? I, I just see Jesus. Sorry. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. That doesn't sound like shame. My soul shall exalt in my God. That doesn't sound like guilt. For he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. Church, Christ died for us so that we could be clothed within his righteousness. To be reconciled to a righteous God. It is his righteousness alone that counts. Praise God that he is righteous. Amen? Because that is why we can live within it. It's the reason that you no longer have to be a slave to the unrighteous past, the miserable failure of a present, or the hopeless future. You can have hope because you are within the righteousness of Christ. You won't know it, though, until you learn from God's word. Everybody close your eyes. Everybody close your eyes. Everybody close your eyes. Don't look at the band. I will pray. Dad, I'm so thankful that in the midst of our unrighteous failures, you look down and say, I don't know what you're talking about. I just see Jesus. That's ridiculous. But I'm really thankful. I'm really glad that I can have confidence while being surrounded by those that are unrighteous around me and my own unrighteousness in my own heart. I'm so thankful that eternity has settled, not because of me, but because of what you've done. God, motivate us to fall further in love with your word so that we can truly learn what it means to live within righteousness.